Alright, so, we were reading this storytelling book, and originally we were talking about, you know, we should do the part two of the storytelling episode. We had discussed this um, book, The Science of Storytelling, Why Stories Make Us Human, and How to Make Them Better, by Will Storr. And the first time we talked about this book, we just only got through, you know, the first couple of chapters, because there was so much content that we wanted to talk about. However, you know, Ion and I were talking and we were like, hey, maybe this is an opportunity that we should really talk about the history and the story of reading Rebellion and of Read More. And then, you know, maybe we'll try to tie that back to um, the latter pieces of the storytelling book as well. Yeah, we'll give you an example of how you can like apply this content because um, <clears throat> our like real situations don't fall neatly into the framework. So it'll be a good case study of how do you take a messy, you know, multivariate real situation and condense it down. Right. You know, like we were talking last time about sacred flaws. Like if you think about, you know, what what's your sacred flaw as a person in reality, you probably have tons. You right. Know? Yeah. yeah. But like for a good character, it's it's too much, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So one of the big points that Will Store drives home throughout the whole book is this idea that um, you know, stories are really about characters. Great stories are. Mm-hmm. And so I think the natural place to start is to introduce ourselves perhaps at a greater level of detail than we have in the past, mm-hmm. um, which is an uncomfortable thing for both of us to do, but we're going to do it anyway for you guys. Um, <laughs> so before we get into all that, the last thing I want to say is big shout out to Jules. Um, she's been covering the podcast the last few weeks when I've been out and she's done a great job. So I just wanted to say thanks and you'll almost definitely be hearing more of her in the future. Yeah. And, yeah, um, I, agree. yeah. I uh, really enjoyed listening to those episodes. Good. Yeah. I'm glad you liked them. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. It's, it, it's been tough for her because it takes up a good chunk of her morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate yeah. that. Honestly. Um, but she's had a good time too depends on the episode <laughs> yeah yeah so given that I'm Arik Arik Bhattacharya um, I'm a software engineer right now working in Silicon Valley um, you know um, I I'm struggling about where to start you know because a lot of my biographical information is going to be the same as yours because we're brothers right yeah so um, you know, you're my brother, Ion. Yeah. Um, I was born in Singapore. Um, I lived there for about 10 years. Um, and then we moved to Buffalo, New York. Um, I went to middle school there, um, high school and college in Minneapolis. And then I moved out to the Bay Area. Um, I've done a lot of stuff throughout that time. I mean, things that I'm generally interested in, I love the outdoors. I like going outside a lot. Um, I like going to concerts. Um, I have a very close relationship with my family, my brothers, uh, my parents, um, my wife. Um, I'm very close to all of them. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to think of other things to kind of frame who I am as a person. But I guess more fundamentally, like, I would describe my personality as like generally easygoing. I'm like a pretty yeah, relaxed yeah. person. Um, and 
I don't know, yeah, I just like vibing out, you know, having good conversations with people, reading, working, um, going outside, listening to music. It's kind of what I do. Why did you start this project? So the reason we started this project... Why did you start this project? Why did I start this project? Like, what was the personal significance of it to you? Well, I think the main thing was our book club with our brother. Yeah. With Ridu, yeah. uh, or Amartya for um, everyone who's not his brother. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so basically for me, the reason I started this, this project is that we were, we live far away from our younger brother and he's just entering high school. Um, this year he just entered high school and we wanted to make sure that we were spending enough time kind of staying connected with him um, as he was growing older. Um, and I think in particular when the pandemic started and we had to cancel like a few of our trips back home, yeah, we yeah. became more like focused about it. Right. Yeah. And in the past yeah. it had just been like, you know, we'll play some video games once in a while, but then we were like, Hey, maybe we can start a book club as a way to kind of stay in touch with each other and make sure we're hanging out. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it has a bunch of benefits, right? Like one, we're staying in touch, we're talking, we're hanging out. Um, and two, we're also um, gaining the benefits of whatever reading that we're doing, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and we read some great stuff. I mean, yeah, we, we did, read... Yeah. Um, Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Huck Finn, Tom, Tom Sawyer. Um, we yeah. read this uh, sci-fi anthology... Yeah, that's um, the best sci-fi. Amazing, yeah. yeah. There's a short story in there, Sand Kings, that you should all go check out. I really like that one. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah. Um, the, but anyway, Moscow the, Rules. Yeah. yeah, Moscow yeah. Rules. That was a good one. Shouts out to to Ridu uh, for picking that one. Yeah, it's about yeah. like the CIA um, techniques of disguise that they used in Cold War and to operate in Moscow, like super non-permissive environment. Exactly. Yeah. But ultimately, you know. It was tough to maintain our schedule. We all are busy. We have busy lives, different schedules. And it was tough to, like, stay on this um, book club and, like, make sure we're all doing the reading. And, like, um, it's tough to not fall off, right? Like, one week, one person doesn't do the reading because they had X, Y, Z. Then the next week, you know, it's possible someone else doesn't do it, right? And then how do you, you know, maintain that consistency and keep doing it over time? Um, yeah, both individually and separately, like, you know, cause it's, it's like an individual problem that you feel because you're in a group. Yeah. Right. It's like, you're, you're personally having a hard time keeping up with the reading because of your workload. And what we found is like, we were alternating weeks, um, going to the science of storytelling, a good, like unexpected change that we could use to like kick off the story, uh, the story of like read more. So we're, we're going to workshop the story of read more using these techniques during this episode to make it like tight and cohesive and then in the future we're going to tell it like the cool way <laughs> so you guys will see it you know in its raw form but like the unexpected change could be the pandemic yeah and it could also be really becoming a teenager you know entering high school yeah yeah but before we go all the way down that path i want to bring it back a step yeah because we want to introduce the characters yeah so now it's your turn so give a little background on yourself yeah um, and then, you know, after that, uh, I'll ask you about your motivation for starting this project. 
Yeah, so I've been saying this like canned intro, and when when it's uncanned, it's usually needlessly long. But basically, like I'm a software designer in Silicon Valley, um, and I, you know, I'm after this like um, doom but defining task of self perfection. And I think you heard in the 1984 episode, or not the the George Orwell episode about like the Isocrates and the Hellenes. Yeah, yeah. So like, I feel like that applies to what, what we're doing here because we're all connected in our desire for like personal growth and betterment. Um, and that bridges a lot of gaps. Um, as far as like who I am. Yeah. So traveled around a lot, uh, went to a lot of different schools. I've always been more attracted to self-education than formal education for a host of reasons. Um, bad experiences with teachers, uh, a feeling of arbitrariness, a feeling occasionally, um, you know, bullied or, or mishandled by teachers or authority figures kind of pushed me to like cut class and read on my own to kind of learn stuff. Professionally too, like I I wouldn't have this job if it wasn't for self-education. Um, you know, largely using online courses and like, you know, reading the great books of design. That's how I taught myself how to do this job. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm a really passionate believer that like we are all underutilized, um, that we could all do more, um, we could all be more, uh, and that self-education is a great path for that. And then also, yeah, so pandemic, um, it was harder to stay connected. We we actually were unable to go for our brother's 13th birthday because it was at the time when it was unclear how bad the pandemic was. We weren't vaccinated. There were, were no vaccines. The death rate was really high at that time. Um, and so, you know, we wanted to stay connected with him. And also like at that age, a lot of teenage boys drop off on their reading habit. Yeah. I know I did. When I got to high school, I was an avid reader. I would read, I would stay up late at night reading, um, up until high school. And then my reading habit fell off and only relatively recently in the last year or two, like, you know, a couple of years after I graduated college, did I really pick up my individual reading again and it's never gotten to the point where it was when I was like really young really young yeah. and I'm yeah. always going to be striving to do that but anyway that's just a side tangent you're totally right that yeah. lots of teenagers and in general um, can lose that love of reading and what does that say about our educational system but yeah. again that's a whole can of worms I, I would, there's some books I'd love to read on that honestly yeah. The problem is, like, what do you do with that? Because, you know, if, if you don't want your kids in the educational system, you're going to have to homeschool them now. Yeesh. And that's a lot of work. Yeah. But also, like, the educational system is so bad that it might be worth it still. But I don't know. Yeah. If Jules does it, it's worth it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's hilarious. Well, anyway, okay. You're saying about the, um, the, uh, yeah, the um the like dropping off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So for me actually I found the opposite or not the opposite like had I been in class like you and Ridu, I probably would have dropped off from my reading habit too. Yeah. <laughs> the only reason I kept it is cuz I did it instead of going to class. Yeah. Yeah, and not like a little bit. Like I enough that like one year like they seriously thought about like like holding me back even though my test scores and grades were fine just because I'd missed so much class that I like didn't hit like the state requirements <laughs> but we fought back on it and it was fine but yeah but yeah I mean 
that that's really what it is. Uh, also, for me, I, I personally have found that it's rare that I'm consistently able to read as much as I want. Um, and the consequence of that is like kind of being rootless and like disconnected from your intellectual birthright, mm-hmm. which we talked about in the Orwell uh, Orwell podcast. Because Orwell is part of that intellectual birthright, right? Like if if you aren't engaging in this like conversation about the important questions that's been going on for thousands of years in a meaningful way you're going to be easily swayed by whatever like the flavor of the moment um you know social contagion is right be it you know trumpism or communism you know right so i think it's it's meaningful to like it's meaningful to fortify yourself against that by you know, engaging and being like a better intellectual by reading more. So that's something I really care about. Right. Right. So when you were first starting this project, yeah. Do you feel like though that's what was in your head though? Um, I think for me first and foremost, it was like the consistency and like coordination for the book club. Yeah. And then secondarily, it was like, yeah, I mean, what if we can improve the consistency of our reading and the reading of others through, like, these behavioral nudges? Right. Um, It it was kind of those two big things for me. And it was also, like, an appreciation for, the like, over time um, for the fact that, you know, I've had, like, I've known a lot of well-intentioned, capable people who aren't living up to their potential. And I don't think it's always big. I don't think it's mostly because there's something wrong with them. I think there's something wrong with their strategy and their approach and the way in which they like build their habits, you know, like, so, so I think for those types of people of which there are tons uh, of which we all kind of are, like we all, we all are not quite living up to our potential, right. To a certain extent. Yeah. That's why people who, you know, in our user research for creating this app, like people who read four books are guilty about how many books they read a year. People who read 40 books a lot of the time are guilty. Yeah. Um, like I was talking to my friend uh, Steve yesterday and he's a daily consistent reader. He's still like, yeah, I wish I could read, you know, double what I'm reading now. And he does at least 30 minutes a day, which is pretty damn good consistently. You it's know? extremely solid consistently. Yeah. Very few people read that much consistently. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so so that's what was in my head. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But okay, let me let me take it one step further. Why did you choose to start a business around this problem? Many people have many problems in their day to day life, right? Yeah. Um, but what is it that drove you to say, okay, not only am I going to try to you know, solve this coordination problem mm-hmm. and this consistency problem for myself and for my brothers, but say, I'm going to start a business and I'm going to try to help other people read more. Yeah. You know, I think it's interesting because like the reason I want to do it is also what I hope people will get out of it, mm-hmm. which is having your fate in your own hands. Yeah. And having independence. So through the app, the hope is you will be able to have a, a strong and consistent reading habit. You're going to be engaging with um, meaningful works that like attract you uh, and maybe some that don't. And by doing so, you're going to have mental independence. You're going to be able to have um, 
an intellectual base that lets you critically assess um, questions of importance in your life and in your community, and you're going to be able to like be less swayed by uh, groupthink and social contagion. Um, I wanted to start a business because I wanted to be independent. You know, like I wanted to do something that's like creatively independent. Um, I wanted to do something self-sustaining. Uh, I wanted to gain financial independence by creating something valuable for other people. Um, yeah. So for me, this like theme of independence comes back up. Right. So I think that this is actually something that is fundamental to our story and that that hasn't really occurred to me before right um so to take it to the book real quick um will store talks a lot about designing characters and their theory of control which is basically internally how does this person how have they learned to control the world because the human brain is constantly trying to figure out how to manipulate the environment around it and ultimately how to exert control on the world yeah um, so, you know, quoting from the book, when unexpected change strikes, what's their automatic go-to tactic for wrestling with the chaos? What's their default flawed response? Um, so there's two ways I want to take this. I think one, both of us have this very independent streak. We've yeah, always had very this, true. right? Yeah. Anti-authoritarian, mm-hmm. you know, um, our mom might call it oppositional defiant. Yeah. Um, but basically like In four days, she will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but basically this idea that like, you know, I'm in charge of my own destiny. I can do what I want to do and I'm going to do that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but the other thing is like, um, you know, related to that is we both believe deeply. And for me at least, and I think for you as well, this is very influenced by, being immigrating to the U.S. at a young age um, and coming into the American system and learning about, you know, the American economy and, you know, the Enlightenment ideals and laissez-faire but yeah. um, and, and all of those things, capitalism. But we believe strongly in capitalism, in business, in business as a tool to improve the world, to deliver value to people and ultimately to make life make lives better and solve problems yeah, right yeah because it's a way for a group of people to get together and say we're going to work on this problem yeah and then we're going to create some we're going to solve this problem for other people mm-hmm. and they're going to pay us for it yeah, right yeah um so i think you know we could say the theory of control that is fundamental to all entrepreneurs is this idea of creating business creating businesses as a method of controlling the world. Yeah. So like ultimately in some way our theory of control is that we can start a business to solve problems that we see in the world. Our automatic go-to tactic for wrestling with the chaos of not knowing how to handle this problem is hey, let's try to start something to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what do you think about that? Mhm. Yeah, I I like it. I like it. I I might go a level deeper than that and say something like we feel that we can like self-determine a solution to a problem without needing to, you know, coerce or like appeal to authority. We can just generate it ourselves and you know, I think in this case it's a business, but I think in other cases, you know, we've managed to like 
skirt like the standard path and kind of do things our own way like when it's not been a business yeah um but i think that that kind of self-belief and like self-determination and like sense that you know you're not this helpless person you you can solve your own problems and solve problems of other people if you work at it right um well the question is if that's our theory of control then how are we going to be proved wrong in the story and have to update it well that's that's not necessarily what has to happen right because let me find this i was just there um basically that's what makes it a well i guess so i was gonna say that's what makes it a happy story or or not is basically you know whether they have to um whether they have to change or not but that's actually not quite the argument he's making he's saying all stories are about having to change your theory of control um happy stories are ones where you successfully change your theory of control And, you know, sad ones are ones where the character does not successfully make that change. Well, let me ask you this. Like, what um, what belief did you have prior to this project that you no longer have? Or have you had to update based on having worked on this? It's an interesting question. What belief do I no longer have? Um, hmm. What belief do I no longer have as a result of this project? Or a belief that's had to be, like, meaningfully updated. Yeah. So I feel like, so a lot of my beliefs have been strengthened in a way, right? Like, my belief in the ability to, you know, create businesses that can deliver value to people. My belief that, you know, we can figure out. Not just we as in I on an I, but like you who's listening to this podcast, anyone can figure this stuff out and generate, you know, products or services that are useful to people, that create revenue, that can pay them, um, and put some good into this world. I still firmly believe all of those things. I think the biggest thing that this has challenged so far is just like, um, my ability to like schedule things and you know like fit everything in I yeah. guess right like yeah. this idea of well it's actually not about time for me it's about mental energy yeah right? yeah I think that's the thing that's been challenged the most is like this idea that I definitely have the excess mental energy to be like working on all these different things at once because yeah. what I found is that you know, after a full day of work at my day job, um, trying to then go and write Swift UI code, which is essentially um, like the code for the iOS application, is extremely difficult, especially because it's not typically, it's not my specialty. I'm a back-end software developer. Right. You know, the vast majority of the time, and I work in distributed systems and things of that nature. So... Anyway, I, I guess that's that's my yeah. kind of rambly answer is like this idea of like, you know, the trade-off between time and mental energy and really how much there is there for me to trade off. Yeah, yeah. So tell me tell me if you identify with this. One of one of my beliefs that's kind of been changed through working on this project but also through um 
through working at a like really early stage startup has been this like idea that you have to be like perfect yeah you know and going back to what you're saying maybe part of what's changed for you or could have changed for you is like you thought you would have to carve out like this massive amount of time but you you're finding that it's been imperfect but you're still chipping away but the code is you know getting closer and closer to the design but you know you're 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 shipping you've been shipping code every week regardless even though it's been a bumpy ride and we're still on our way yeah yeah i think that's a good point i think that's a good point um i do feel like um you know we are chipping away and making progress and and we will get there um yeah, I think it makes it very clear also like exactly what the missing or what the advantages of doing something full time yeah. versus working on a side business. I, okay, that's that's one that has been updated for me for sure. Yeah. Because I've always thought in the past that, you know, why would you go take a seed round? So yeah. for in case you're not into like the startup ecosystem, don't know what that means. Essentially means you get a bunch of money before, like early, early on in your business where it's mostly conceptual. Maybe you have a MVP or, or minimum viable product or some small stuff, but very early and you're basically getting this seed money to like launch your business, right? You're going to build your actual first version of the product. You're going to start selling a little bit, hire a few employees. That's generally what people are doing with their seed round money, right? Mm-hmm. Um so in the past, I've always thought, you know, why, if you have the ability to self-fund, like, why wouldn't you try to, like, work on something on the side, get, it as get far traction, as you can. Yeah. and then go raise a seed round because you're giving up less ownership in your company, right? Yeah, yeah. And you're going to get a better deal because you have more traction. There's less risk for the investors. Yeah. Um, what I've realized now is, like, the biggest reason to do that is because of momentum, I think that's the toughest thing about working on a business on the side Yeah, is you don't have the daily, daily momentum that you get from spending eight hours a day doing something. Yeah. Yeah. You can't get in this like extended flow state where you're constantly working on this thing and you're living and breathing and eating it. Yeah. Um, and you, you start get like accelerating and accelerating your progress. Yeah. So that's, yeah. A, that's a belief that's changed. I do see the value in going out and raising funds and quitting your job and like going all in. Yeah. I don't yeah. think I, it's the right solution in all cases. I still think there are many benefits to not doing that. Yeah. But I've come to appreciate, you know, the value, the value of the other side a little bit more. Yeah. 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 And I think especially if you want to have like a life, you know? Yeah. Like I know for me, if, if this was funded... I would be doing something different in the morning. Yeah. Like, I'd probably be, like, going to jiu-jitsu in the morning or, like, you know, um, lifting. And then during the day, I'd just work on this. And in the evening, I'd, like, chill and, like, you know, go on a date or hang out with friends. Right. Whereas now, it's, like, you know, every morning, I'm working on, like, something related to this um, and, and lifting. Or, like, I'm get, doing jujitsu at lunch, which is eating into work, like, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but after work is still pretty chill because I just don't have brain power at the end of the day, so I just write that off. Yeah. 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 If I really need to in a pinch, I can, but usually, no. Yeah. See, for me, as you well know, I'm just not willing to wake up at the hours that you wake up at. I won't do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I even more for you. in the evening, yeah. but I end up taking bigger chunks of time on the weekends to work on this stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah. Which has been paying off. 
Yeah, know? for sure. Um, it helps that uh, Margaret, my wife, works in um, wildlife rehabilitation, so there's always... Frequently, she's working weekend hours. Yeah. So she'll go to work, and then I will try to resist, Won't have anything you know, to playing video games or eating potato chips or whatever, or hanging yeah. out with friends. And instead, I will try to work on the app during those times. But, like, to your point, like, if I was working on the app, you know, during working hours, I would not be sitting there on Saturday evening from 6 to 10 p.m. writing code. Yeah. I, I could yeah. promise you that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which would be kind of nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but I also it's a tough one, man. Like you know, I I'm working on interesting problems, um, yeah. and I'm enjoying myself. So, yeah. like, and this is in reference to my work. So, yeah. and very different problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's a tough. It's nice to have the variety too. Yeah. 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 So it's nice to have the variety too. Yeah, like it's, it's trade offs. Yeah. Um, as far as like the theme of perfectionism, that can kind of go back to the reading habit too, where it's like. You know, you don't need to be perfect to maintain your reading habit, right? So maybe that theme of perfectionism goes through as well, where we're like, hey, you know, we're we're unable to stay connected with Rilu because of the pandemic, we can't hang out with him. But instead of being like, okay, you know, therefore we just can't stay connected, we're like, we can, well, we're gonna do it imperfectly, but we're gonna keep it up, and it actually ended up being really valuable. Yeah. So maybe that's the sacred flaw. Maybe the sacred flaw is like, hey, it's all or nothing. Like, you know, it has things have to be done right or not at all. You know, that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, the the unexpected change is just like, well, in a way, it's just like being, you know, busy working professionals, adults with partners and, and work that we enjoy and care about and other hobbies like yeah. trying to stay healthy, cook food, exercise, yeah. have friends, social life. Yeah. Um, and then realizing the all of not the, the all or nothing approach can't work. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know? I think that's why a lot of that actually may be why a lot of investing in Silicon Valley mythology is kind of biased towards the young founder, you know, the college dropout or the recent college graduate, because they don't have all of these things in their life. They can go all in, right? Like they can move into an apartment with their, um, coworker, their co-founder, and they can work on this a hundred hours a week. And that's fine. They have nothing else in their life. Yeah, but I'm not convinced. Like, most of the time, people massively overreport the hours they work. And there's a mythology of work in this country such that there's a strong incentive to do that. So, for example, people who say they work 100 hours a week, typically they're working more like 60. Yeah. People who say they're working 60 are typically working more like 40. Yeah. Um, and on down. Yeah. People who say 40 are working more like 28. Yeah. Um, so, I think the mythology, in some cases, is just that, you know? Right. Uh, and I also think, based on some of the quality of leadership and like ability to execute that I've seen in startups, you know, a little like age and maturity and having like worked a job, like I think it actually does help you. It helps you take feedback. It helps you understand human beings and yourself. You know, I completely agree. Yeah. I completely agree. And ultimately, I think that's so. I think that that Silicon Valley mythology is a result of 
yeah the theory of control that it's all or nothing in order to yeah. solve a problem in order to really be successful yeah you have to pour everything into it yeah i think that's a flawed theory of control yeah and it's actually not true at all yeah um yeah. and i think the most successful well, I, I, I won't necessarily say that. I'll, I'll retract, walk that one back. I was going to say the most successful people aren't necessarily like that, but that's not true. I think success comes in many flavors, and there are many people within yeah. who are very successful who that is what they do, right? Yeah, like, yeah. take, I think, Elon, Elon Musk. Or Elon or, Musk. Or, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he's the CEO of, like, three companies. Yeah, yeah. Two of which are public. Like, that's insane. He actually is working 100 hours a week. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... Ultimately, I don't think that's necessary. And for me personally, I don't think I'm going to hit my peak output at that level. Like, yeah. I think that for a short period of time, I could sustain short meaning like, well, it all depends, right? If it's my company, yeah, I could sustain a period of work of 60 hours a week for like a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. Um, if necessary. If necessary. Yeah. But more than that... I, in either hours or like the length of time at which you're working those hours yeah. I don't think it's going to increase my output I think it's actually going to reduce my output in the long run because yeah, I'm yeah. going to burn out yeah there's some evidence that people can only like focus intensely for 3 or 4 hours a day yeah you know and if that's the case then you take 4 hours or even 5 let's say so then what there's like 3 hours of administrative work and then 2 more hours of what yeah you know I mean, different people are different. Maybe some people can do more. But I think for me, that's I found that to be the case, that I could focus intensely for about four hours a day. Yeah. You know? Um, I guess, like, what some people might be doing is just keep going and just have the diminishing returns. So work four hours at 110%, then work, like, two hours at 80%, then two hours at 40%, then two more hours at, like, 20%. You know? Some people are just built different. Yeah. Like... Charles, one of my mentors um, at work, that guy can just work. He yeah. can just work. He can just work. He can work like 80 hours a week. He can just do that at like full output. I don't know how. I consistently try to get him to work less because I don't <laughs> want him to burn out. And he's a really good leader. So I always tell him to like take vacations and like delete Slack off his phone and shit yeah. like that. But, you know, he, he's also someone who, like, you know, his girlfriend works in finance. They're very, like, hard-charging, and they both, like, you know, stay up together late at night, like, working until, like, midnight or whatever. I can't do that shit. Um, it's just not for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Um, like I said. Yeah. I could do it more easily on my own projects. Yeah. That's the ticket, right? Yeah. If it's my company... Then yeah, sure. Yeah, it's a very different situation. Very but different. I'm yeah. not gonna be working eighty hours a week for someone else's check. Ultimately. Yeah, I mean that's one of the nice things about like the tech industry is you have equity. Yeah. So it's like a little more like, hey, I'm working for you know, what I have a piece of, you know. Yeah. And it's not just financial; it's also like psychological ownership. You know. Yeah. I think it's both. Right. Um, and I think those are related. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, maybe it's this perfectionist theme then. Maybe it's like the unexpected change is just like, you know, the inception of all these responsibilities or COVID or both. Um, and then like the sacred flaw is like, hey, 
we have to do this shit 100%. We have to do it perfectly right. Whether it be the reading habit, you know, reading a book or two a week uh, or working on the project, working on it 100% all the time. Yeah. And then we realize, actually, you can stumble. You can do it imperfectly. You can have days where you're just hanging on, but you just keep going and that does work. You, you do end up on the other end with a meaningful reading habit, with a meaningful connection, with a meaningful business, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that I think that's a that's a good one, and and I like the way um, that you frame that. Um, yeah, it's interesting. It's definitely interesting. So, okay, here here's another thing that that's interesting. He talks a lot about how like the ultimate dramatic question is, "Who am I?" Right? Or yeah. who is this character? And and that's why he talks about the theory of control so much. Yeah. Yeah. So. I guess that's pretty related to the to to what you just said, right? Where it's like, am I this perfectionist? Am I gonna let the en- the perfect be the enemy of the good? Yeah. Or am I gonna be someone who's just committed to the process, right? Yeah. I think ultimately, when you look at people who are successful, um, invariably, regardless of how many hours they work in a week, they are people who are just committed to the process, right? Yeah. Like you take someone like um, a Kobe Bryant or or a LeBron James or even a artist, right? Like, take... Um, oh, who's like a universally beloved musician? The Beatles. The Beatles. Yeah. Kanye West. He's not universally beloved by any means, but he's acknowledged Musically. to be a good musician, right? Yeah. Or the Lang Lang. He is uh, probably the best piano player in the world right now. All of these people... If you listen to their interviews and things, they're, you know, they're in the studio every day if they're a producer making beats. They're just making beats. Sometimes it hits, sometimes it doesn't, but they're in there and they're working and they're working it. They're working it. If you look at, um, you know, Kobe, he's in the gym, he's putting up shots, he's shooting a basketball, he's doing dribbling drills. He's doing that every day. Some days he's going to shoot well in the game. Some days he's going to shoot poorly. Some days it's going to be inefficient. Some days he's not going to feel like it. But he's just committing to the process, right? He's just saying, I'm just going to do this every day. And across thousands of days, you get to the point where you've done something really remarkable. I think I've heard similar stuff, too, from, like, uh, writers. I don't remember which writer this was, but some famous writer... I was reading, they were talking about like what it is to be a writer. And they basically just said like, in order to be a writer, you just write. Like you just sit down every day and you write. And most of the time it's shit and you throw it away. Yeah. But you just write and you just write and you just write and you just write. Yeah. Ryan Holiday, that's his schedule. He, He writes for like three hours a day every morning. Yeah. 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 So, you know, I think our trans, my transition at least is to not let, you know, this perfectionism stop you from doing stuff, but to say, you know, I'm just going to come here. I'm going to try to write some code. The freaking background of the text field is going to be impossible to change colors. It's going to take me like <laughs> fucking hour because I don't know, you know, I, I'm not a skilled UI programmer by any means. You're doing a pretty good job though. It's coming together. I mean... But I take your point, yeah. It'll do what it needs to do, but That's I can I say with confidence that I'm not a skilled UI programmer. Um, 
I've known some skilled UI programmers. Their work doesn't look like this. <laughs> <laughs> and that's okay, you know? You're uh, still getting it done. You're still shipping it. Yeah, yeah. And, and we'll refine and we'll hone and all of those things. But, you know. 100%. Yeah. I mean, there's a book by Stephen Pressfield called The War of Art. And it's kind of about this. Yeah. Where Stephen Pressfield was a former Marine who then became, like, um, an author. That dude was a Marine? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, actually, one of his other books is on the, like, Marine Corps reading list, which is, like, um, I'm gonna get it wrong, but I think it's, like, Gates of Fire. It's about, like, the Peloponnesian War. It's, like, historical fiction. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. But he, um, his, his thesis is exactly what you said, where, you know, you can either be an amateur or you can be a pro. Like, amateurs wait for motivation to strike. They're kind of, like, up and down about it. Pros just sit down and just get work done every day, whether they're motivated or not. And... In the course of, you know, putting in these, like, sacrifices to their muse, they get struck by motivation. Um, and that's basically the thesis of it. And also, like, he's like, there's this force called resistance, which crops up and it's just, like, always trying to stop you from doing the things that you need to do the most, you know, that matter the most to you. Mm -hmm. um, and he's like, you have to use resistance as a compass to point you towards the things you, have, you most need to do. Yeah. 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 yeah, I remember that book, actually. You recommended it to me. I think I listened to the audio book of it yeah, yeah. Um, while that's I was studying one. abroad in Ecuador. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah, that's a good a one. bus. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, but yeah, exactly. Like you said, um, it's this idea of uh, committing to the process. So this one's not really related to the story of Read More, but... Um, uh, I wanted to throw this one in there. This was a highlight that kind of stuck with me. So um, they're talking about... So he's talking about how a gripping plot is one that keeps asking this dramatic question. It's using the story event to repeatedly change and gradually break the protagonist's model of who they are and how the world works before rebuilding it. Um, but anyway, this data scientist, David Robinson analyzed 112,000 plots from books, movies, television, episodes, and video games. His algorithm found one common story shape, and he described it as, quote, things get worse and worse until at the last minute they get better. End quote from Robinson, but still quoting from the book, the pattern he detected reveals that many stories have a point just prior to their resolution in which the hero endures some deeply significant test. For one final decisive moment, there posed a dramatic question. It's the moment they have to decide once and for all whether or not to become someone new. Um, so the interesting thing about this quote to me is like what really spoke to me is like this is why human beings love sports and yeah. sporting events is because it's this, you know, Define and in particular, like why people love and are so drawn to the idea of like clutchness in sports. Clutchness obviously isn't a word, but like you know, which is basically cool under pressure, the ability to dis deliver under pressure. Right. Yeah. This is why people love, um, you know, Tom Brady or Kobe Bryant or um, you know Rocky Balboa so f so fiercely. Right. It's because yeah. in these moments where it's everything is hanging in the balance right 
they're the people who consistently step up and show and and show manage, who they are. Yeah, to yeah. show who they are and succeed. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was a an interesting one. Yeah, it is interesting, and I think you know. I think it it can factor into the into the story of Readmore a little bit, where it's like, hey, you know, after we've like dropped off. I mean, we're on a really good streak working on this for the past few weeks. Yeah. But there was a point where we kind of dropped off. We were having a hard time getting things going again, and maybe there will be again. You know, and then we're gonna have to like, you know, ask ourselves again. Like, are we, um, are we perfectionistic? Are we not working on it, or do we find that middle ground where we're gonna go pro and we're gonna keep like grinding through it, or even with like the the reading habit, you know? Yeah. Um. Yeah. Or like right now with staying connected with Redu, you know, we've been kind of busy, um, like getting getting a, some kind of reading going with him again. Maybe that that's that's an example too. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Or like Darth Vader throwing Emperor Palpatine like over the balcony that's another good example <laughs> <laughs> yeah that is that is a good example as well uh that's funny um okay so um to sum it up we're saying that you know the story of Readmore ultimately is the story of of you and I and of you know, our younger brother and our, um, you know, we, well, I think there's kind of two parallel and related, um, ways that we can describe this. Right. So the one way is like originally the way we used to stay, try to stay in touch with Ridu and hang out with him was visiting home fairly often yeah and we would schedule time to play video games together Mm -hmm. then the pandemic hit which was this unexpected event where we could not go back home anymore and we were like okay how are we going to continue to stay in touch so then we said we should start this book club and that's when we found out this that there was it was very difficult to do and sustain and we said okay we need to start this project um, in order to solve that problem. Mm-hmm. I think the other track is the one that you had just talked about a few minutes ago, which is this idea of, um, you know, things being all or nothing. Um, whether it's, you know, having to read through whole books with Redu, whether it's having to, you know, have this perfect idea with, you know, $50 billion of total addressable market and seed funding and to be like, you know, um, the best of the best in terms of engineering, design, marketing, product, sales, all of that in order to start a business. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this idea of, of all or nothing, of, of, of perfection being a prerequisite to action. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is not the case. Yeah. And changing and... and starting because ultimately that's the real test is can you start again and again and again and just keep yeah. going right just yeah. keep moving forward and jujitsu that's called like the black belt bounce back effect where it's like everyone who gets to like jujitsu black belt has had periods of like months maybe even years that they've had to take off because um, it's just like a long process you get injured family stuff work stuff but all the black belts have that one thing in common which is like they keep coming back 
So, like, one of the best guys in my gym is, like, a purple belt. And he's, like, an instructor. Um, and he, like, took, like, several years off. Yeah. But he's, like, super good. And he's probably going to become a black belt. Um, not only because his dad is, like, a black belt and an MMA fighter, but also because he's just really good, too. Yeah. 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 Damn, it would be intense to have a dad who was a black belt and an MMA fighter. It looks intense. <laughs> when his dad comes in and he's there too and like they're coaching together, he he gets gruffed up quite a lot. They roll together? Yeah, like demonstrate. That's you know, cool. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Man, yeah, you would just never ever out like, you know, grow big enough or strong enough to be able to like, you know, to be bigger or whatever than your dad. You just never have that moment if your dad was a jujitsu black belt. Yeah. Yeah. Even by the time you get to a jujitsu black belt, He's now like, your dad's had the entire time you were a black like trying to get to black belt to get even better. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're screwed. Like you're never gonna beat him in jujitsu. At some point he'll probably age out or like injuries will start to add up, but okay. at that point you'll feel too bad to beat him. Yeah, you're just joking <laughs> out old man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's like some Greek, uh, like some I don't Greek know, myth, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like some shit or something. Yeah, it's it's not what you want. <laughs> yeah, I, I like these like these these two tracks and like, yeah, yeah. I mean the all or nothing thing. Honestly, it applies like in the app itself and how we approach folks. I feel like because part of what we're gonna do is we're gonna tell people to set more modest goals or you know help people jump back on um when they fall off right like how do you come back without feeling guilty without feeling like there's no point yeah um those are some of the things that we're going to bake in to kind of like prevent you from having these like cycles of um perfectionistic torpor like preventing you from building strong reading habit you know yeah yeah because that's part of it you know for folks yep yeah and what's interesting actually now that you say that is you know um We've talked before about how we want to use the same techniques that, like, the social media apps and other, you know, the big tech companies are using for your attention and, and engagement. Yeah. Um, it's actually a very good example of, like, things not needing to be perfect to work. So, um, what I mean by that is, like, you take, like, when I'm sitting on my phone and scrolling through, say, Instagram it's not perfect entertainment by any means, right? Yeah, like it's yeah. not like some like deep and meaningful experience that I'm having, but yeah. it's just good enough to keep me scrolling and it's low friction enough that I'm going to do it instead of like, sometimes I'll do that instead of like watching a movie that I've been wanting to watch for like months or like, you know, playing video games that I actually enjoy um, so it's not even like that versus reading like the Old Testament. Like it's like yeah, it's it's like know? that versus like playing Ghost of Tsushima, which is a great game. Yeah, yeah. But but they've managed to like hone it down to such a science that like it's hard to even do this. So so you know compare that to like reading, right? So it proves the thesis that like people need better tools to like resist the lure of social media, aside from just right deleting all your social media. You know? Well, you find a way. You start reading Apple News if you delete all your social media. 100%. That's ultimately yeah. why I got back, why I downloaded Instagram is because I was like, I was looking at my screen time on my phone and I was like, if I'm just reading fucking Apple News, like, I'd rather just scroll Instagram. <laughs> like, that's just as bad, but 
like also just makes me seem like a weird old man like yeah yeah <laughs> that's fair that's fair and I mean you know we've been getting on social media for this project like I've gotten on Twitter for the first time ever basically aside from a string of haikus that I posted randomly one time um but what was that what was the point I was gonna make on that yeah like abstinence is not always the best solution because then when you do need the tools you have to like build it up from scratch both yeah. both the skill and like the awareness of like the culture of the platform um as well as the habit of doing it as well as like the emotional muscles to be like oh i'm gonna wade into this like cesspool of discontent you know um so it's it's good to find a balance and maybe one way you can find a balance is you know in, in the context where you're getting distracted, have a tool that can kind of, like, nudge you in the right direction, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So, again, this is unrelated to the story of Read More, but it's another quote that I really liked from the book. Um, this is actually my, potentially my favorite quote in the book. So he's basically talking about how it's sometimes argued that a storyteller who tries to climb into um, the skin of a person of a different from them, right? Different race, gender, sexuality, whatever, is guilty of a kind of theft um, and they're appropriating and unjustly profiting from another's culture. Um, and he talks about, you know, yes, storytellers who attempt such feats do have a higher obligation towards truth than otherwise. Um, however, um, it's actually very important to do that, to try to empathize with people and to get into their shoes. And he says in particular, quote, stories should not respect such boundaries. If tribal thinking is original sin, then story is prayer. At its best, it reminds us that beneath our many differences, we remain beasts of one species. Agree. Agree. Honestly, that might be like the best place to end. And with that, that's the story of Read More. Um, follow us on Twitter at, at RDMR underscore IO. At RDMR underscore IO. Um, you can go to RD, you can contact us at contact at RDMR.io. Um, or drop, just, you know, yeah. Drop us an email, um, send us a Twitter message. Um, tell us what you want to hear. Um, you know, we're really looking forward to um, engaging with you people as individuals. You know, we're working on the app. And of course, all the listeners of the podcast will be the first to know. And we'll be extending an invite for you all to join early beta tests and things like that yeah. if you're interested. We're not there yet. But in the meantime, you know, if you are interested in what we've been talking about if you have books that you want us to talk about just anything at all drop us a line we'd love to hear from you yeah or if if you um if you are someone who wants to be reading more uh hit us up and and talk to us about it because maybe we can cater the app towards your needs you know we can like understand what what's stopping you and try to find some some solutions um yeah, and check out our website at rdmr.io. You can sign up for the waitlist there. But if, you, if you're listening to the app, if you're on our social media, you'll see the invites to the beta test, you know, through there as well. 
Um, and with that, we will see you next time. On Reading Rebellion. Goodbye.